invitation of the assembly to share in the conference and appreciate the very warm welcome that has been extended and a privilege to share with uh, our brethren here as well. <clears throat> and it's good to see all who have arrived for the early morning session of the conference today. Now, I just noticed from our brother's uh, announcements and from the conference circular, it's the 78th conference. And just coincidentally, I want to read from Psalm 78. So our mathematics will keep us in alignment for this meeting. Psalm 78, and just a short reading, selected reading from the verses of this psalm. Psalm 78 and verse 14. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. <clears throat> he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused rivers to run, caused waters to run down like rivers. Verse 19, Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Verse 24, And it rained down, maybe verse 23, Though he had commanded the clouds from above, and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought in the south wind, rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls, like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitation. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their desire. And uh, I think maybe, I think we'll terminate the reading there. I have other <coughs> passages that I'll speak about well known and draw upon your memory. <clears throat> now, last night in the, uh, in the prayer meeting, our brother, Mr. Mervyn Hall, was reading just 10 psalms over in Psalm 88. And in that particular psalm, he was asking us to consider a rhetorical question. A question that asks, can God's wonders be known in the dark? And he followed through a number of scriptural allusions to special divine interventions in scenes of darkness. I want to think about a question this morning that we have here in Psalm 78. And the people are rather more skeptical, cynical question can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And I want to speak about the wilderness. And perhaps, perhaps there is someone, will be at the conference, maybe here right now in this meeting, and in the journey of life, you have just arrived at a wilderness patch. It's a very serious thing, a very demanding thing, a very, a very threatening thing just to be in the wilderness. And the question that we are considering this morning, if you do happen on the landscape of life to come into a wilderness experience, 
Will God be able to sustain you there? Will God be able to provide for your protection, your satisfaction, your spiritual development, and your preservation? Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? In fact, it's quite amazing. Just when we take a look at the the text of Scripture, how many times the wilderness keeps coming up. We love to have the garden experiences of life. We treasure those. Days when the flowers are blooming. The fragrances fill the air. Everything is pleasant and joyful and positive and enriching. Those garden experiences are very precious. Sometimes we have mountaintop experiences. Those times in life when we seem to crest spiritual heights. They may not last very long, but they become cherished memories. Sometimes we can descend into lush and luxuriant valleys. But I tell you, the wilderness is a different experience. And you will not always be in the garden. And you will not always be on the mountaintop. And you will not always be in the broad open plains of the valley. Every Christian, sooner or later, will descend into a wilderness experience. The wilderness was a place where the drought and the heat were searing. Not just an absence of rainfall, but an absence of dew and dust and sand and rocks and bland and bleak limestone for miles as far as you could see. It was a place of dearth. It was a place of dreariness. Just those thousands of square miles of just gray, sandy rock. No no sight of green. Nothing to break the landscape. There are times in life when it's like that. It's dry, difficult to pray. Bible study doesn't seem to yield very much moisture. Everything is monotonous. It's just the common routine, the regular rhythm of every day. Everything is repetitive, not much sign of change. It all becomes very, very depressing and very demanding. And life can even out and become very uninteresting. That's the wilderness experience. A place of dearth, a place of dryness, a place of dreariness, a place of danger. If you read, for example, in certain passages of the Bible, you'll read those adjectives that are attached to the wilderness. A waste, howling wilderness. A wilderness is a wild, wild. It's a wild place. And there are patches in life's experience that are wild. And you feel yourself to be threatened if you go into some of those Bible wildernesses. It would almost seem as if the landscape is just about to swallow you up into oblivion. A sense of emptiness. A sense of loneliness. Hardly a person to be seen. A sense of hardness. You tread upon the hard-packed ground and rock. Maybe you're there today. Loneliness hardness, emptiness. You know all about it in a spiritual sense. You can identify with those. It's a place of danger. It's a waste, 
howling wilderness. It's great and terrible. The book of Deuteronomy tells us, the prophecy of Isaiah tells us, it's a place that hasn't been plowed and it hasn't been sown. Not very much cultivation, not very much growth. Have you been there? You can face a wilderness experience in personal life, wilderness experience in family life, a wilderness experience in assembly life. Moses was in the wilderness. Elijah was in the wilderness. Hagar was in the wilderness. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. The nation of Israel were in the wilderness. The Lord Jesus was in the wilderness. In all likelihood, you'll be in the wilderness. Every brother, every sister, singles at times will be in the wilderness. Married couples will be in the wilderness. Families, it's just prolific. In fact, I think I did keep, listen to this, the wilderness of Beersheba. Wilderness of Beth-Avon, wilderness of Damascus, wilderness of Edom, wilderness of Engedi, Etham, Gibeon, Jerval, Judah, Kadesh, Kedemoth, Maon, Moab, Paran, Red Sea, Shur, Sin, Sinai, Zin, and Ziph. Twenty wildernesses in the Bible are named. And the prolific, the prolific appearance of this wilderness theme, right from the book of Genesis, right through to the book of Revelation, we read about people in the wilderness, and God is wanting to teach us lessons so that when we arrive in the wilderness of our own experience, we will have some precedence to encourage us. We will have some principles to guide us. We will have some people and patterns that will stimulate us. And again, I ask the question, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I hope we'll be able to answer that question just before I have concluded in about 20 minutes' time. In fact, I think it's interesting. The first wilderness experience we have in the Bible is just a slave girl. She's expecting her first baby. She has just been expelled from the home of a good man. She's received a little bit of just heavy-handed treatment, and even from a good home, by people who perhaps should have known better, she has been pushed out against her will into a wilderness experience. The child is on the way. As an expectant mother, she sits there just in the isolation of her dreary circumstances, hardly knowing where to go or what to expect next. And suddenly she becomes aware of a person who has arrived into the wilderness beside her. The angel of the Lord. The first occurrence of the angel of the Lord in the Bible. Theologically designated the first theophany, if you like. And the Lord from heaven comes to the wilderness to an expectant mother who is just a slave girl. Oh, you say, I wouldn't expect that the angel of the Lord would have interest in someone as insignificant and nondescript as that just Hagar. Yes, he appeared right there, and he made a very, very special provision for her. So that's the first time we have a person in the wilderness in Scripture. Maybe there's a young mother here today. You're just stepping out into the unknown terrain of just the uncertainties of life. Can I assure you, just in this opening session, that the Lord, the angel of the Lord, 
the pre-incarnate and now the risen Christ has an interest in your situation, in your sorrows, in your solitude. And as he appeared to make special provision for Hagar, so he will still make provision for his people. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, here we are moving out into the wilderness. And uh, there are quite a few of us. Somewhere about, we hazard a guess, about two and a half million of us. Well, you say, that's an impossible situation. If you take a group of 20 people into the wilderness, you're asking for trouble. Take 20 people into the wilderness to walk the unknown track for 40 years, you're almost guaranteed there will be 20 fatalities. You're going to take two and a half million people into the wilderness. It's a a trip to execution. The certainty of death. Their bleached bones. Their bleached bones will just be carpeted across the wilderness floor. This is a suicidal enterprise. Two and a half million people in the wilderness. Will you ever feed them? Will you ever meet their need? Well, they peel back their tent door And lying there as a carpet, a white carpet on the floor of the wilderness is manna that has been rained down from heaven. And tons of it, and tons of it, and tons of it come every day. Six days a week, a double portion on one of the days. Every week of the year for 40 years, not a single intermission, and marvelously, and mercifully, and miraculously, and magnanimously, God furnishes a table in the wilderness for a whole nation of people, men, women, and younger folks. They were all abundantly supplied by the manna which came from heaven. It was surprising. This sweet bread Small, round, and white. You've heard all the messages, and I'm not repeating all of that just now. That's what God wanted His people to be, small and white and round. He wanted them to be a humble people. He wanted them to be a consistent people, no rough corners. He wanted them to be a holy people, white. And so He gave them food that would produce in their souls and in their characters what he wanted to see. And in the wilderness, he proved himself to be sufficient for their every need. Moses told them, he said, actually, that bread that came from heaven in that wilderness, he said, none of your fathers ever saw that. He said, Jacob never got any manna from heaven, neither did Joseph, neither did Isaac, Jacob, or Abraham. Your fathers never saw He said, when God brought you out into that wilderness, he proved himself in a way that had never been known before. And he did something unique for your generation. I say, I say, dear believers, you remember that God tests his people in the wilderness landscape of life. He tests us to see if we will trust him and he will show himself to be faithful and to be a bountiful giver. Mr. Darby, Mr. Darby, I think, caught some of it in his hymn. In the desert, God will teach thee what the God that thou hast found, patient, gracious, loving, tender, all his grace shall there abound. 
I, I would almost hazard a guess there are believers here could come to the podium. Some of these good brethren in Christ, they could tell of dry days in spiritual experience, and the Lord came very near with special gifts, with an abundant generosity. He met the spiritual need in a very marvelous way. I say, dear Christian, you step out on the pilgrim pathway, put your hand in the hand of God, and trust Him for the future, and He will give you food for your soul. What a supply! What a sufficiency! What a sweetness! They marched through the wilderness strong. None of them took sick. Their feet didn't swell. They didn't need the supplements of homeopathic medicine or conventional medicine. They had it all in the manna which God gave, and He marvelously furnished a table in the wilderness for a whole nation. Actually, a number of wildernesses. You can go through them. I cannot detail them just now. The wilderness of Shur. And then they proceeded into the wilderness of Etham. Then they moved down into the wilderness of Sinai. They turned north for the wilderness of Paran. Then eventually into the wilderness of Zin. And the wilderness of Sin. And they moved as they transitioned across the pilgrim journey from wilderness to wilderness from place to place, from situation to situation. Every wilderness, each wilderness had its own character. And the one thing that was common to them all, God's manna arrived in every desert. God's provision was there for every day. And with abundance, God furnished a table in the wilderness, a sweet table for the wilderness of pilgrimage. And thank God we've been singing about it already. What a sweetness. They're going to the land of milk and honey. They already tasted the honey before they arrived there. They tasted the honey in the manna. Dear believers, we are going to the land of corn and wine. Eventually we'll reach a scene where wildernesses will be unknown forever. In the meantime, the sweetness of Christ satisfies our souls and gives to us in the bleak desert of this world, a flavor of Canaan land and a flavor of celestial delights that will satisfy our hearts eternally. I want to think about David for just a short time because one of the things that you will discover in the wilderness experience of life is that God can supply a table in some unusual ways. Now, David had a... <clears throat> well... It was quite a wilderness experience, wasn't it? There's, a, there's a, little, a little section there in the first book of Samuel, maybe from about chapter 22 to about chapter 27, somewhere chapter 26, in around the wilderness of Ziph, the wilderness of Paran, the wilderness of En Gedi, the wilderness of Maon, and young David, young man in his 20. Oh, you say, can you hit wilderness experiences in your 20s? He just lost his job. He had a very good job as a courtier in Saul's palace. He has been dismissed. The javelin of jealousy has almost pinned him to the wall. As a young man in his 20s, he finds himself the target 
of temptation and animosity, and he's out in the wilderness. It's a good time to go to the wilderness. Sometimes we think that teenagers and people in their 20s cannot cope with trials. I tell you, you see folks here in their teens, you don't want to be spiritual softies. God was going to make David into the kind of a man that could be a leader. That would come later. He's not just a leader of the nation yet. That will come. But these five wildernesses through which young David passes in his 20s, maybe a seven-year period in his life, those wilderness days where everything seems to be on hold, that anointing oil that ran down his locks and gave him the promise of a throne and a kingdom, it all seems to be so distant and so far away. And everything's being delayed. And the difficulty of the wilderness experience begins to bite into his soul. And the one great danger that threatens David is this. Just the temptation to take things into his own hands and to accelerate things. And if anybody gets in his way, just dispatch them. Remember the day that he was going to have the sword in his hand and he cut off the skirt of Saul's garment. I can tell you, if the sword was sharp enough to cut off Saul's garment, it wouldn't have taken a very big stroke just to cut off his head. And the temptation in the wilderness, just accelerate things. Take a shortcut. Get to the throne. Take matters into your own hands. There was a chapter in that wilderness experience where a man spoke very, very disparagingly, very critically of David, said he's just a bit of a runaway slave, and he slandered David, and he slighted David. And David said to his four, he said, right then, put on the sword. 400 swords, and we'll butcher them to pieces. He has dared to criticize me. He has dared to challenge me. He has diminished and demeaned me, and I'm going to make sure that I leave a mark. I leave a mark and show him who I am. And just on the way, on the way to that butchering execution, David is met in the wilderness by a lady called Abigail. I think I took a note here. It says, it says she brought, she brought into that wilderness where David and his 400 men had been in starvation, just living from hand to mouth, hunted like a partridge upon the mountain. And in this situation of discipline and delay, and yet spiritual character development, this lady brought... 200 loaves, two bottles of wine, five sheep ready dressed. That was a beautiful table. Five sheep ready dressed. Five measures of parched corn. 100 clusters of raisins. And 200 cakes of figs. And right there in the wilderness, David and his hungry men had a sumptuous table that was spread just in this wilderness of pressure. And I think that that was a great encouragement to David in a day when delay might have tempted him to take things into his own hands. And this sumptuous table that was very marvelously provided through the instrumentality, through the agency of Abigail, it just stopped David. He says, Lord, blessed be the Lord God of my father's that have stopped me this day from seeking revenge. Uh, can I say to young brethren in the 20s, you might have to wait. You might wonder why things are not moving in your direction. 
difficulties with relationships, difficulties with responsibilities, and you feel that I could speed things a little bit up, and you're just in a dry patch, and nothing very much seems to be happening. It's all so difficult, negative, and monotonous. Whatever you do, don't take things into your own hands. Don't lift your sword. Don't resort to carnal means. Don't move anyone out of the way. Allow your, just wait upon God, and He will introduce into your life Wilderness provisions. He will spread a table as he did for David just in that time. A, a sweet table in the wilderness of pilgrimage. A sumptuous table in the wilderness of patience. When David was tested to the uttermost, can he wait upon God? He will take the kingdom from the hand of God and not wrest it from the hand of Saul. Actually, <clears throat> There was another wilderness in David's life, a little bit parallel, but in a different area. I might say, I might say to all the Christians here, just as a little aside, pay great attention to Bible geography. I know that we read these names and all these awkward names and you say they don't mean very much and they're obscure places and you just jump onto the next word. No, Bible geography is very important. Those wildernesses where David was as a 20-year-old were all in southern Judah. Now he comes to the throne. Things are going well. He has, his story has been a success story. He has turned the nation of Israel from being a postage stamp little tribal kingdom into becoming almost a world empire. A kingdom that's recognized amongst the nation. He's in his palace in Jerusalem. His life has blossomed and he now becomes quite the significant oriental ruler. And then suddenly, suddenly in his own family, there's a complete disruption. His own son turns against him. He's off the throne. David's out again into the wilderness. Not the same wilderness that he was in as a 20. Now he's on the other side of Jordan, away up in the wildernesses of Gilead. He's now sleeping out in the open air as he did as a boy. I'm sure, I'm sure, when David was just in his 20s and he finished with those wilderness experiences, he said to himself, Whew, thank God that's over. Stage number one finished. No more wildernesses for me. And for a while it seemed as if that would be the case. And when he reaches adult life, the family break up. And the family break down. And the revolt within his own kingdom. And good old David finds himself again in the wilderness. as a The wilderness of pain with a breaking heart. The tears strip. Maybe there's a parent here today and you're in that wilderness. Family things haven't gone so well. The boys haven't just turned out exactly as you expected. The way you brought them up and prayed that they might be saved, live for God, be an asset in the assembly, that has not materialized. Your heart is broken. You're in the wilderness of pain and parental disappointment. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes, there again. There again. It's not now a young lady by the name of Abigail, a good-looking young lady, fair countenance, a woman of under... It's an old fellow, 80 years old, an old boy called Berzillai, the Gileadite. And in that wilderness on the east side of Jordan, he arrives. And listen to the table that he spread. 
And God uses not now Abigail, the agency of Barzillai. It says that he brought basins, he brought beds, wheat, barley, parched corn, beans, lentils, sheep, pulse, honey, butter, cheese, and kine. About 14 different items. And he says he gave those to David because the people were hungry and weary in the wilderness. And for a little while, David again proved that God could furnish a table in the wilderness. Sometimes, dear Christians, God can bring people into our lives that just give us exactly what we need in days of difficulty and in wilderness experience. What about Elijah? Better move quickly. Our good friend Elijah. And he has done his great work. He runs away into the wilderness after the great victory of Mount Carmel. He lies down under the juniper tree, a discouraged man, defeated, defeated, deflated, overwhelmed. Things haven't turned out as he expected. Here's a preacher, here's a prophet, a sterling, sturdy, strident prophet, a great man like Elijah. You say a man that can stand on Mount Carmel. A man like that will never be in the wilderness. Well, just one chapter later, he's right down. And the Tishbite has become the Juniperite. In the wilderness of just perplexity and point. I said, Lord, there's no point. There's no point. He says, take away my life. He said, I'm no better than my father's. He said, I'm a failure. And with a sense of fear and a sense of futility and just a sense of total failure, he just lies down there, exhausted, physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted. And how did the Lord deal? The Lord sent an angel. An angel. And as old Elijah was having a much-needed sleep right there in the wilderness of Beersheba, a very, very desiccated part of the Negev. The angel gives him a nudge, and old Elijah wakes up, and there's bread, just freshly baked, just fresh and warm, just what he needed. And a cruise of water puts him back to sleep, Let's him sleep another little while. Wakes him up again. Just gives him exactly what he needs. Right there in the wilderness. Elijah takes the bread and water. And the Bible tells us, reinvigorated, he went in the strength of that meal for 40 days. It's not now Abigail. It's not now the old octogenarian, Barzillai. It's just the angels. Not even the, the, the ravens coming with bread and flesh. Angels. Oh, I say, I say, maybe there's a Christian here today. And you have reached the wilderness of pointlessness. You've done your best. You've made your contribution. Things haven't materialized as you might have thought. You maybe think it's all a failure. You say, I'm just going to hand in the towel. I'm giving up. You're in the wilderness of pointlessness. Can I say, dear Christians, when you are at the lowest ebb, in that wilderness of depression and disillusionment and discouragement, the God of heaven is able to spread a table and give exactly what is. Finally, the book of Revelation chapter 12. And that great chapter speaking about Israel. Israel as a queen. Israel as a mother. Israel as a fugitive. Israel ideally is a queen. 
in a place of dominion. God has designed for Israel a place of administration. Historically, Israel is a mother giving birth to the Messiah. But prophetically, Israel is not a mother or a queen. She is a fugitive. And the remnant of that nation in a future day, we are told, they will take the wings of an eagle and they will fly into the wilderness to escape the persecutions of the Antichrist. Where will that wilderness be? Well, your guess is as good as mine. I will guess the wilderness of Edom, but I can't take time to substantiate that. This remnant of Israel will fly into the wilderness of Edom, you allow me that, and she will be nourished by God for a time, time, and half a time from the mouth of the serpent. The devil will want to swallow up that little remnant in a day. In the wilderness, just as God provided for the nation at the beginning of their history, he will nourish that remnant in the future when they are holed up in the citadel of Petra, in the wilderness of Edom, and he will keep them there and will give them a special supply for the three and a half years of antichrist repression and persecution he will sustain. I say, whether it's a nation, whether it's a dejected prophet, whether it's a rejected king, whether it's a struggling remnant, all of them in the wilderness, God provides for every one of them. The wilderness of pilgrimage. The wilderness of patience. The wilderness of pain for a broken-hearted parent. The wilderness of pointlessness for a dejected Elijah. The wilderness of persecution for the remnant in the future. God will give them a sweet table. A sumptuous table. A strengthening table. A special table and a sustaining table. My question is, as I sit down, dear believers, can God provide, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes! From the book of Exodus. Yes! From the first book of Samuel. Yes! From the second book of Samuel. Yes! From the first book of Kings, chapter 19, says Elijah. Yes! From the book of Revelation, chapter 12, says the remnant, my dear Christian friend, God can provide a table in the wilderness. And I say, in the wilderness of 2019, right here in Midland Park, in the spiritual wilderness of this world, where there is nothing to satisfy the soul of the hungry Christian, I do trust. As my beloved brethren, come to this little podium and open the Scriptures that we will go away from this 78th conference. And when people meet you at the door of the, for the 78th conference, they tell me, in Psalm 78, it asks the question, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? You'll say, yes, He can. He can, because we have just been at a conference. And the Scriptures were opened. And the saints were fed. And our souls were satisfied, and not only historically, but experimentally, here and now, we have proved that God is able to furnish a table in the wilderness, meet our need, satisfy our souls. May God grant we will receive manna suitable in abundant supply as this weekend unfolds. May the Lord bless.